I think electrification and autonomy means a safer worksite, a more productive worksite, and a cleaner worksite. That's definite. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, advancing the equipment manufacturing industry. I'm Dusty Weiss, AEM's professional nerd, charging cable collector, and podcast host. Electromobility and automation may be two of the hottest topics in leading-edge technology right now. And we know from an AEM-McKinsey research partnership that your customers are interested in autonomous and electric-powered heavy equipment. But unless your name's Elon Musk, chances are pretty good you haven't gone to production with anything yet. But that's all changing as several equipment manufacturers, including Volvo Construction, are launching all-electric compact product lines. And on today's program, Volvo's Dr. Ferris Biney will tell us how they've gone a step further, piloting an all-electric fleet of heavy-duty equipment at a quarry in Sweden. It's these sorts of cutting-edge insights we work to bring you here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Each month, we explore a new subject area to help keep your business on the vanguard of the industry. So if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed so you get an update every time we put out a new edition. Just find us in your favorite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. Along those lines, I'd really appreciate it also if you told me what you think of our show. Rate or review us in iTunes or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, and I'll note that our average rating on iTunes right now is 5 out of 5 stars, although I'm pretty sure at least one of those was from my mom. Anyway, your ratings and comments help other industry pros find our podcast and help me keep it relevant. So late last year, Volvo CE embarked on a 10-week pilot project to launch the world's first emission-free quarry using electromobility and automation solutions never before deployed on a job site. Set in a quarry outside Gothenburg, Sweden, this functioning quarry used primarily electric power in all its equipment, although there was some diesel power still used. Overall, the project achieved a 98% reduction in carbon emissions, 70% reduction in energy cost, and a 40% reduction in operator cost. Perhaps more importantly, the electric site proved that electrification and automation are viable technologies in this field. And there are some other takeaway lessons for OEMs who are looking to more pioneering solutions in this space as well. Joining me to parse some of these lessons is Dr. Ferris Biney, Volvo CE's Electromobility Strategy and Business Development Manager. Dr. Biney, thanks for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Hello, Dusty. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Paint a picture for me, if you will. Walk me through this site when it was in operation. What does it look like? What does it sound like? And how is it different from the sorts of quarrying operations with which we're familiar? So uh, the electric site project makes you feel really good about the future. It provides a sneak peek on what is coming. On a conventional quarry site, you hear a lot of noise especially from diesel engines, and even though these engines are cleaner by the year, with not the Tier 4 engines, you still see the moist exhaust fume coming from out of the machine. So with the electric side, it is quieter than ever, and it looks cleaner than we've ever seen it before. The only thing you see is dust, which is part of the nature and not harmful to the environment. So that's not an issue. It's more like part of the job. But overall, it's a positive vibe. And it goes well with our mindset at Volvo CE that we want to build the world that we want to live in. And it's already looking good. So uh, it's a very comforting picture. This notion of a quiet mining site is just, it blows my mind because, of course, anybody that's ever spent time in a quarry knows that it's a loud, dirty place. 
I'm fascinated by this notion that you can hear each other speak and you're not having to shout over all that noise. But tell me about the individual pieces of equipment that you had on this worksite and what makes them special and different. So we had mainly three types of equipment that we use as part of the electric site. Uh, one of them was what we call the LX01, which is a concept hybrid electric reloader. Another one is the uh, what we call the HX02, which is another concept machine. It is an autonomous and battery electric load carrier. Uh, we used eight of them. They were going in a circle and not stopping. And the third type of equipment that we used was a modified EC750 electric grid connected excavator, which is also a concept machine. Those were the three types of machines we used as part of the electric site. And most of them were electric, uh, either hybrid electric, full electric. The excavator was grid connected to the site using a cable. And it's fascinating to me because here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, we cover a lot of those same topics all the time, electrification, IoT, autonomous mobility, and the like. And this electric site pretty much checks all the boxes as far as future technologies that OEMs in this space should be aware of. So I kind of want to go through these one by one and discuss what was going on. The primary crusher on the site is uh, loaded on that newly debuted excavator prototype, which can be run off either electric power or diesel. Why did you make the choice to have it run on both types of power, and did that present any particular design challenges for you? As I mentioned, it's a prototype machine, and it's based on the EC750 excavator. And whoever knows our machines, that's quite a big excavator, and it has a 385-kilowatt engine. That's a lot of power, and it consumes quite a bit of energy. So that's why we decided to have it connected to the grid, and most importantly, it stays in one location 99% of the time. Therefore, having that cable to connect it to the grid was not an issue, but more like an opportunity to have a, a more efficient operation for the customer. And anyway, this type of practice is already adopted by the industry today. You see some of these machines already modified as aftermarket machines by dealers or customers, and they already use that type of connection to modify some of these excavators and connect them to the grid. The idea of having a diesel engine on board is to provide some level of mobility if they want to move the machine from one location to another every once in a while. So most of the time, the machine is stationary. You connect it to the grid with the cable, but if you want to move it to another location to do something in a different way, then you have the diesel engine that you can move it. And it's a prototype. So this is what we thought was good for this project specifically. So the idea is pretty much that when it's sitting in one spot and working as a crusher, you plug it in, and when it's moving around the site or, or getting from place to place, you use the diesel engine. That's a really neat concept. What sort of power source did you use and do you anticipate having on site to plug these machines into? So most of these quarries already have an electric infrastructure, so we just connected to the electric infrastructure that's on the site. Of course, there was some special equipment that we needed to install, but it was basically the, the existing infrastructure that were connected to it with some extra equipment. And were there any special accommodations you had to make on site where you have power cables running to these machines? Because I presume you don't exactly want to track excavator driving over that cable. That could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely don't want that. So yes, we had some special installations to have these cables running on top of the site and coming to the machine from top down, but nothing too complex. So in other industries, when you talk about replacing a traditional internal combustion engine with electric power, 
The one thing that you always hear about is the power that these things can bring to bear. I've experienced this myself, uh, driving my brother-in-law's Tesla. I got to test ride the Harley-Davidson Livewire, both electric-powered vehicles. And you put the hammer down and the torque is just instantly there on these vehicles. Did Volvo find the same benefits in test piloting its electric wheel loader, the LX1? Oh, yeah, definitely. And this was a feedback we got from waste management operators in, in California because we did some testing with them on that. LX1 machine in 2017, and we got that same exact feedback that the machine has a lot of instantaneous power available to the operator. So what's basically doing is allowing for a more productive operation. Uh, one thing I want to add here, since we're talking about this topic, is that LX1 machine has electric hub wheels, and that's allowing us to have a better traction control on the wheels. It saves on wear and tear of the tires which is another saving on top of the 50% increase in fuel efficiency that maybe sometimes we overlook. So when you say that it has electric hub wheels, that means that each wheel has its own individual power source and is powered independent of the other wheels, uh, sort of increasing the traction control you have? Exactly. So each wheel has its own separate electric motor that's driving that wheel. So you basically have four electric motors that are driving the machine, so you can control the speed, the acceleration of these motors separately to have a better traction control, and that allows you to save on your tires and reduce spinning. And I imagine that, especially on a, a mining site where you've got crushed gravel and really unpredictable terrain all over the place, that mm -hmm. just makes a huge difference. Have you been able to operate these machines yourself, and, and what's it like sitting in the driver's seat? I did operate some of these machines. I mean, it feels a little different than a conventional machine. But as I said, I mean, you have this instantaneous power and it feels closer to the material. You have a better contact with the material because you have that instantaneous connection and you don't have that lag with the conventional machine where you have the diesel engine that needs to ramp up. But once you get used to it, it's so powerful and you have this instantaneous power that allows you to do more in less time. And I bet it's just fun as all get out too to operate one of these things. Definitely, definitely. So with the wheel loader, where does the hybrid part come in? Is this a machine that runs on electric until the battery runs down, or is it electric and internal combustion simultaneous with each other? So the uh, LX1 electric hybrid wheel loader is a series hybrid design. That means basically you have a diesel engine that's charging uh, electric batteries, and those electric batteries are running or powering the machine that allow us to run the machine on pure electric while the diesel engine is turned off up to 30 minutes. Of course, depending on the application and how aggressive you use the machine, you drain the battery faster, but it allows you to use it with the diesel engine turned off up to some amount of time. On the other hand, the diesel engine can be turned on to continuously charge the batteries for a full day or full shift operation running on, on low RPM. So two things I wanna highlight here, the machine can recuperate energy from braking as well as the hydraulic working equipment. So that basically put back some of the power into the batteries, increasing fuel efficiency. And the diesel engine on the LX1 machine is half of the size of an engine on a similar conventional wheel loader. So basically the diesel engine is much smaller and we recuperate energy, allowing us to be much more efficient with fuel efficiency. Do you find that that hybrid model, as you outlined it there, sort of gives you more flexibility as an operator? 
it does because it allows you to run the machine on pure electricity while turning off the diesel engine. That could be beneficial also from a noise reduction perspective in some applications. So some applications you maybe you want to run at night, low bit, you know, so it gives you, of course, definitely more flexibility. One thing that stands out to me is in the mining operation that was going on before you test piloted this new technology, there were three rigid haulers that moved material around the site, but you replaced them with eight smaller haulers. If I'm guessing here, this is a decision that was enabled by the autonomous guidance technology with which these haulers are equipped, correct? And if so, why? Yes, that's correct. And uh, we call that concept at Volvo from elephant to ant, making the machine smaller. And that's basically allowing the customer to have a lower total cost of ownership and a little bit more flexibility when you have these smaller machines. For example, if one is down, you still have many more machines that are running around and it doesn't have so much effect on productivity. The idea, of course, with this elephant to ants is that you can make these smaller machines and sell them for cheaper and they can buy more of them. But would this still be a viable business model for your customers, but for the autonomous technology? The reason they had these larger machines, very complex, big tires, a lot of cost, because they wanted to save on the operator cost, right? So Less machines, less operators you save on that cost. But when you make these machines smaller, cheaper to operate from a mechanical point of view, but we're also removing the operator, allowing for the total cost of ownership to go down. So we kind of solve the problem for the customer by having those machines autonomous and have them smaller. So we reduced maintenance, initial cost, as well as the operator cost. And we're really excited about this sort of autonomous guidance technology because this is something more than any of these other technologies that's really on the cutting edge. So with the autonomous guidance technology on this equipment, how might it apply in a broader industry context? How does it work and how does it account for the safety of the workers who are still required to play various roles on this site? These HXO2s use a number of sensors, uh, as you would expect, right? A, a differential GPS, as well as LIDARs and radars. Together, these sensors can follow a, a preset route and safely stop in case of an obstacle in the way. In addition, all these HXO2s are connected together to the site management application, and the operator in the LX01 loader or reloader can also communicate with those HXO2s for operational purposes. So from a safety and operational management purposes, these machines use all these sensors and connectivity to operate seamlessly. So the learnings from the electric side when it comes to automation was tremendous because from a technology perspective, we learned a lot from sensors and software, but also uh, we learned that connectivity is very important. Communication is very important for safety. So a lot of these learnings could be applied on a higher level with different type of equipment and different type of applications. You had mentioned that on this test site, you had programmed these eight haulers to essentially drive in a circuit. So they would park in front of the loader and pick up a load and then drive off and deposit that load somewhere and then sort of queue up behind the other loaders and just keep driving in that circle? Correct. Yes, that's correct. That just it sounds fascinating. It really it sounds like watching an army of ants move pebbles around. I would imagine that with so many autonomous pieces of equipment on the site that 
there has to be a pretty powerful back-end control and command system that keeps track of everything then. Was that designed specifically for this site, or was this a software solution that Volvo already had in its toolkit? I would say this was a combination of existing technologies, but a lot of additions to it. For the most of it, we had new content, and it was mostly designed specifically for the electric site. And does one person control the entire work site through this software interface, or is it more of a multi-person job? I'm, I'm sort of picturing like NASA's ground control here. Yeah. And, and how does this system enhance the collaboration of four persons and workers on the site? There's one main operator that operates the management software, but also the operator inside the LX1 reloader, for example, has the capability to communicate with the HXO2s, as well as the possibility for other personnel on the job site to be able to use emergency switches to shut down the operation in case of emergency. So it is a one-man operation on top, but also there are other people on the ground that have capabilities to to interact with the system and talk to machines. So as all of these pieces of equipment are out on the site, moving around, collecting data, and then funneling this data back to your sort of central hub, I imagine that this will also present you with the opportunity to provide a live stream of data and and analyze productivity on the worksite as well. This was the first prototype, so the focus was on safety and fundamental operational functions. So we didn't really provide an extensive list of features, but more of these features will be added in the future to provide site operators with more capabilities to customize as well as fine-tune its operation. So when mining operations are considering deploying this technology, they're going to have legacy equipment and infrastructure with which this technology will have to work, or at least work around. Does the software interface allow for other brands of equipment to eventually be incorporated into the job site? So not this specific electric site uh, prototype version because it was all Volvo machines, but interoperability, if you want to call it that way, is high on the list of our connectivity department. So we definitely design our connected solutions to work with other equipment on the site, but not specifically for this electric site project. I understand Volvo partnered with a company called Skanska on this pilot project. How did that partnership come about, and what was the benefit of having Skanska on the site there with you? Skanska is a key account, one of the largest customers we have, and we always have dialogues. We're always talking to them. So it came up at some point, and the main benefit is to involve our customers as early as possible in the exploration and development process of new technologies and innovations. That allows Volvo to develop solutions that solve real problems for our customers and add value to their uh, daily operations and allow them to do their job even better, more efficient, and hopefully cheaper. Both uh, sides of uh, were excited and worked on it together, and it was a great learning experience for Skanska as well as for Volvo CE. We're talking with Dr. Ferris Biney, Volvo CE's Electromobility Strategy and Business Development Manager. Ferris, big picture here. What would you say are some of the most important lessons that the industry can take away from this electric test site project? I would say that uh, electrification of large sites is possible and that the total cost of ownership as well as the environmental benefits are definitely worth spending resources and energy to explore and develop such technologies in the areas of 
automation, connectivity, and electromobility, both from an OEM perspective, but also from customers and contractors to spend the energy and be early adopters in this uh, innovation process. What are the benefits, do you think, of being an early adopter? To be part of the future and shape the future and make sure that OEMs and the government, if you want to add that to the equation, are developing solutions, legislations, whatever it is that is really helping the industry and helping solve problems that contractors and customers, equipment managers are facing today. That's certainly something that we like to champion at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers is we think very often it's better to meet the future head-on than to wind up reacting to things that are thrust upon you. These technologies, they were mostly prototypes, but is there a timeline for when they might be deployed and made available for purchase in the industry? And if so, how might they be different or improved upon from the equipment that was deployed on the Swedish test site? Well, you might not like my answer, but no clear dates. But we are definitely working on commercializing versions of the machines, you know, showed at the electric side. That will, of course, be slightly different, and that depends on the case, on the machine. But no clear dates, no clear timelines at the moment. Oh, Dr. Biney, that's heartbreaking because I can't wait to get my hands on the controls of one of these machines and actually get to try it out for the first time. Uh, one of the major advantages that uh, Volvo celebrates about this project is that the quarry was virtually emission-free when it was in operation. As a company, why did Volvo identify that as an important goal? I mean, as you might know, that's the uh, environmental care is core value for Volvo Group. Uh, zero emission is one of Volvo CE's top goals, and building tomorrow is the mindset that we have at work every day. So such a goal is normal and expected, I believe. The results from this test site showed that this technology could result in a 40% reduction in operator costs as well, just with the, all the autonomous equipment that was moving around the site on its own. And I imagine that that's especially attractive right now as many construction and mining operations are being hindered by the scarce availability of qualified labor. But beyond the question of who drives the machines is the question of how they're driven. This younger generation that's entering the workforce now uh, myself among them, grew up playing video games where you would work as a team in a digital environment. Do you see a workforce advantage in building machines that operate more like video games? I personally do, because it matches the type of workforce our customers will be dealing with in the near future. And I'm sure that our user experience department is taking all of this into consideration, uh, of course, among other challenges. I'm pretty positive it is part of our design team looking at user experience. Even bigger picture now, having deployed these technologies on a test site, seen them in action, studied the results, what do electrification and autonomy mean for the future of the construction and mining industry? Is this technology going to supplant traditional equipment as we know it now, or will there be situations where traditional equipment is still preferable, do you think? I think electrification and autonomy means a safer worksite, a more productive worksite, and a cleaner worksite. That's definite. Uh, as far as how it's going to work with the conventional equipment, I believe it's going to be gradual. So it's going to be a gradual introduction, and it's going to take time. So it's not going to be an on-off switch. So it's going to take time. It's going to be gradually introduced in different applications and with different machine sizes, different machine types. It's a big change, but it's going to be going gradual. 
what's next then uh, from your perspective working on this project? You've run the test site. You've established that this is viable technology. You've probably got troves and troves of data to go over. So where do you see this project going in the five to ten years that are ahead of us now? The next step would be more uh, pilot projects, more testing, more development on these products also with the customer to make sure that we're maturing the technology and it will be hopefully available as a commercial product in the near future. We also made an announcement at the beginning of this year, 2019, that we will go electric on the compact size machines. We unveiled two electric machines, full electric, battery electric, compact reloader and the compact excavator. Well, it's been absolutely exciting and fun to watch and exhilarating to see this technology get deployed on a test site and achieve the results that it did. It's plainly clear to anybody listening that these are exciting times, and you're the lucky guy that gets to be right on the front of it. So that's really neat. I love talking about these topics. As you mentioned, I'm lucky to be part of it, seriously, because I was an engineer before developing the technology and now more on the business side. So I feel really lucky being part of it. Well, Dr. Ferris Biney, Volvo Construction Equipment's Electromobility Strategy and Business Development Manager, thank you for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Thank you. IoT, interconnected devices, and autonomy are going to be big topics of discussion at AEM's next Thinking Forward event at the Cisco Innovation Center in Toronto. That's coming up on September 10th, which I hear is actually a lovely time to visit Toronto. We'll also have an expert speaker on how to tailor your workforce development efforts to specifically target the different micro-generations you need to attract. Once again, that's September 10th in Toronto. We've also got events on the calendar for Milwaukee in October and St. Louis in November. All the details to reserve your seat now are online at aem.org think. And that is going to wrap up this edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. For more valuable industry insights, make sure you're signed up for the AEM Industry Advisor, our twice-weekly e-newsletter. Visit aem.org slash subscribe to get on the list. If you need to get in touch with me directly, shoot me an email at podcast at aem.org. The AEM Thinking Forward podcast is brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Little Glass Men does the music. And for AEM, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.